Okay, so we are uh, in a series called Above and Beyond. Somebody say Above and Beyond. And we are talking about generosity and giving and asking you to give above and beyond. So take out your bulletins, if you would, because in the bulletins, there's two things we want you to pay attention to. Already, Mehdi has mentioned this. This is the commitment card. Now, listen, next week is our campaign weekend, and we will be taking two offerings. And we will take the second offering at the end of the message because I am going to preach a message that is so inspirational, so passionate, so on fire. The money is literally going to fly out of your wallets. And so that's next week. Now, that's the initial gift. You have three options. Number one, the option is give a generous gift next week and be done with it. Uh, number two, don't give next week and do a commitment for the next year. One-year commitment above and beyond ties and offerings uh, to what we're trying to do here. A roof on this building, a new building in Woonsocket uh, being renovated, uh, 13,000 square feet to be renovated, not yet, will be, and parking over here. Uh, on the side where all of our volunteers are parking and then extra parking because one day we will have an entrance to the building on that side, I believe. So uh, lots of things that we've got to do. And then plus 10%, the first 10% going to Hope of Life in Guatemala where they are rescuing children and families out of poverty one village at a time to the glory of God. So we are tithing on the Above and Beyond campaign. want to make sure you're aware of that. Every cent that comes in, whether it's next week or over the course of the year, 10% to Guatemala. Okay, so that's your second option. Don't give next week and do this. The third option is to do both. The third option is to say, here's uh, my initial gift, the, the most extravagant that I can do, and then on top of that for the next year. Now, um, why so much talk, Pastor, about giving? Uh, the church needs a lot of things. Uh, are you worried? Uh, what's going on? Nope, no worries, no fears. We've been doing this a long time. God has been faithful for 15 years of our church, never ever have we gone down. We've always gone up, and God is building, Jesus is building his church in North Attleboro to the glory of God. Amen? But giving does something to you, and you heard it in the video. It's not what you do, it's who you are. Are you generous? Are you generous? Are you a giver? And I was thinking about how it's really true, if you don't have parents that teach you to be generous, the only place I think that you can go in society today to learn how to let go of your money is in church. And you think about how there's really no impetus outside of the church to be a generous person. Now, our MC today, the guy who comes out before me and waits upon you for your tithes and offerings, uh, uh, Mehdi, uh, this is a man who was a former Muslim, and Jesus came and found him and rescued him from that dead, lifeless religion and brought him into the family of God. He's a small group leader, and he has a friend named Eric who he brought to church or came to church and got into a small group and was an atheist while he sat right where you are, listening to me scream every weekend. And eventually, Eric came to saving. Grace in Jesus Christ and is now has and now has his name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, a former atheist. And last week, last week, Eric came here, heard me talk about the tithe, heard Nathan talk about tithing two weeks ago. And, and Nathan and I had shared about tithing because of his testimony, his life story is amazing how God has been faithful to him and his family over, over the course of his life through the tithe. Last week, Nathan, uh, I'm sorry, Eric 
the former atheist decided, let's give 6% of our income. Let's see if we can work up to 10%. Now, I'm not in favor of that plan, by the way. But this is how they did it. And it's fine. They, they're going to work up to 10%. Some of you, that's what you need to do. I understand that. So they, were, they went 6%. And then, guess what? The next day after they decided 6% goes to the Lord and we're going to work up our, our way to 10%, uh, the wife got a raise at work. And he texted me. He said, only God can do this kind of thing. See, this is what I'm trying to talk to you about in giving. It's not about our roof or parking or windsocket. It's about your heart. It's about the person you're becoming. Where else can you get taught how to let go of your money? And you say, I don't want to let go of my money. I like my money. That's the problem. <laughs> One day you will have to let go of your money. And what we do at Waters Church is we give you a head start. <laughs> so... So that when it's done and over for you, you are well-versed in letting go. You've been taught this. You've been taught that, that when you let go, you actually let God. That's what happens with finances. And I haven't even gotten to my message. I feel like preaching this right here. Just let me just hone in. When you let go of your money, you are letting God show up in your life. Some of you are not seeing God. You're not seeing God show up. You're wondering, where is God? Why doesn't he ever do something special in life? I am waiting for the ex exciting life of faith. Well, every person in the scriptures who experienced something exciting in God, you have to understand, let go of the life that they thought was theirs first. Moses had to let go of the life of privilege in Egypt. David had to let go of his of his passion to be king for a season. And, and, and I think about the, the disciples had to let go of their fishing businesses. And Levi, Matthew, had to let go of his tax collecting. You don't really see God show up until you let go of the life you think you deserve and have. And today I want to look at a guy who had to learn how to let go. And it's a guy who struggled with not generosity, another G word, greed. Are you generous or are you greedy? Well, this guy was greedy, and he didn't think he was greedy. In fact, he thought somebody else in his life was greedy. And so today, the tough topic of greed, I know everybody loves it when the pastor preaches on greed. Today, that's what we're talking about. And I want you to take out your bulletins now, because in your bulletins, I'm sorry, your note pages, because I want you to fill in the blanks, follow along with us. And we're going to get into this idea of greed and how it keeps us from the life God has for us. Above and beyond, part four, the garrison of supreme comparison. I want you to learn how to let go so that you can let God show up in your life. Luke chapter 12. Let's get to the text. Would you stand with me? Luke chapter 12. And the, before we get to the story that I want to look at closely in Luke 12, I just want you to look at verse 1 in Luke 12. Here's what it says in verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered, so many thousands, somebody say thousands. thousands. Not a few hundred, not 20, not under a thousand, many thousands. At one time, Jesus fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. You know, Jesus' church was the first megachurch in human history. And he had 30,000 people following him. Many thousands, and he's preaching to them the word. Okay, 
That's the context. Just want you to keep that in the back of your mind because of what happens as he preaches. Verse 13 of the same chapter. Look what it says. Someone in the crowd of thousands upon thousands upon thousands said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now what you have to understand is that according to Jewish law, the eldest brother got all of the inheritance and was committed to the task of divvying up the inheritance to the siblings. So this is not the oldest brother, evidently. The oldest brother is withholding what is due the other children. And so this man takes it upon himself to approach Jesus and says, tell my brother. How many, would you, how many of us, we, we do that all the time with Jesus. Tell them. Tell them. You come to me after Waters Church services and you do this sometimes. Some of you do this. Not everybody. Oh, that was a wonderful message, Pastor. I'm like, oh, good. I'm glad you liked it. I wish my brother was here to hear it. Well, wait a second, sucker. You were here. <laughs> and you heard it. <laughs> and it was for you to hear. Can I get a good amen for that? Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. Verse 14, and this is why I say that, because look what Jesus says to him. Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And then he said to them, back to the crowds, since this guy decided to take this issue up, let me talk about it for a moment. Take care and be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this, I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones and I will store my grain and my goods and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night, this night your soul shall be required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight. I pray that these next few moments would be sacred and hallowed and the Holy Spirit will have his way. And I pray that we will see Jesus him and him only. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Luke 12, 15 is the key verse of this text. And uh, it's just an interesting story because Jesus is preaching to thousands upon thousands. He's at the height of his popularity. People are coming. They're getting their sicknesses healed. They're getting demons cast out. Lives are being restored Families are being brought back together again. Uh, hunger is being alleviated. The message of Jesus is being pronounced. And Jesus, and you have to see this in Luke chapter 12, is talking about big ticket items. And he's preaching. And, you know, when you're preaching, there are moments where somebody has an opportunity, if they have the audacity, to interrupt the preaching with a question. And so this guy has the 
audacity or maybe the courage or the boldness, whatever you determine there. He has the audacity and the boldness to speak up in that very short moment in which Jesus is taking a breath between one sentence and another. How thankful I am that this stuff doesn't happen at Waters Church. But it happened then. And so Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and how there's a religious spirit where you can go through the motions of religiosity but not have a living relationship with Jesus, with God. You have this lifeless form of religion, but there's no power in your life. And so he's talking about that. That's a big ticket item. And he's taking a breath. And he's about to say something else. And somebody from the God, teacher! And everybody looks. And he said, like, tell my brother to give me what is mine. <laughs> now, if you were there, what would you think of this moment? What would you think of this guy? What on earth? I was enjoying the talk. Would you shush so he could continue? But Jesus takes the opportunity, doesn't he? Okay, you want me to shift gears? Let me shift gears. And I'm not going to talk about your brother. I'm going to talk about you. And he says these words to him. Verse 15, take care. Be on your guard. Watch out. Watch out for this. Watch out for what? All kinds of greed. Isn't it amazing how he talks that the, the number one thing that Jesus says we need to watch out for? Not demons. There are some Christians that think that demons are the number one thing we're going to watch out for. There's a demon in their life under every rock. There's a demon in my boss. There's a demon in my child. There's a demon. I got a flat tire on the way to work. It was a demon. No, it was a nail, dummy. There are some Christians, though, that sniff a demon everywhere. Demons. Demons. Right? Take care, be on your guard against demons. No, take care, be on your guard against greed. Greed is something we don't often see, so watch out for it. And then he says this famous line, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now the Greek tense is even more direct, and he says it literally like this, you do not exist in your possessions. You do not exist in your possessions. And yet, isn't it amazing how we actually believe the exact opposite of what Jesus says here? Because we believe that our life is defined by the things we surround them with. The houses that we live in, the square footage, the, car, the number of car garages, the brand or the model of the car that we drive, the clothes that we wear, the... the style of our couch or the brand name of our dining room table or the brand of our refrigerator dishwasher or washer dryer these things surely bring meaning and value to my existence and I have no problem with you owning nice things I do have a problem though with you making the nice thing the defining characteristic of your value and significance this is where the trouble begins I want to put a logo up on the screen. We, we are logo-driven today. We are logo-driven. Does anybody know what this logo is? Raise your hand if you're familiar with this logo. Just keep it up, keep it up. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. Okay, put your hands down. Like, not many, and I didn't know this until last, this past Christmas I was at 
my sister's house and my nieces and nephews were going crazy over this supreme, supreme, supreme. <laughs> what the heck is supreme, Pastor? Okay, supreme is a little skate shop in uh, the Soho district of New York City, started in 1994. Uh, it made sweatshirts, t-shirts, and gear for skaters. And one day in the Soho district of New York, uh, Louis Vuitton designers came by and said, we noticed that some of the people that wear our stuff wear your stuff. We'd like to partner. And then they partnered. And, and then before you knew it, Supreme logo took off to the stratosphere. And now everybody, not everybody, there's this subculture of our country and the world, really, that clamors to have something with the Supreme logo on it. Um, you take the Supreme logo and you put it on a t-shirt, a plain white t-shirt, like the one up here on the screen. This is the 10th anniversary of the Supreme white t-shirt logoed shirt. Guess how much it sells for? $1,000. I kid you not, $1,000. You put the Supreme logo on a hoodie, now you're really talking. $2,000 for a Supreme logo hoodie. My nephews and nieces were telling me about this, and the more they talked about it, the more I thought, how crazy are people to spend that much money for something to define them on the outside? And the more they talked about how excited they were, the more that I started to get excited about it. And so I did a little research, and I found a Supreme hoodie. And I couldn't help myself. I got myself a Supreme hoodie. So I want to bring it out for you. Thank you, Sarah. Ah, this is what I bought for $600. This, this is the Combe de Garçon Supreme hoodie. Combe de Garçon, because it says it right there. Look, right there. Combe de Garçon. Huh? Do you want me to put it on? Some of you are like, no. <laughs> Tell me if it's worth $600. I haven't even got it on yet, and you're saying no. <laughs> okay. How's it look? I can't see any of your responses. There we go. How's it look? $600 worth? What? But it is a supreme hoodie. Don't you understand that the logo, this, oh, by the way, the divided logo is on purpose. This is the style, the, the garçon, the comme de garçon. $600. Well spent. Don't worry about it. I put it on my church credit card. Hallelujah. <laughs> you paid for it. God bless you. Make sure you give big next weekend. I got a t-shirt I want to buy. Hallelujah. Just kidding. If you know me at all, if you know me even at a fraction of, of who I am, you know there is no flipping way <laughs> that I would pay $600 for a hoodie. I bought this from China. $40. <laughs> it's a knockoff. Yes. Thank you. Now I got some claps. Okay. 
a knockoff baby. But isn't it amazing how we think this little symbol makes us special? And it doesn't have to be this, this symbol. It could be one of these symbols. It could be one of these symbols. What, are, what do we call these symbols? What do we call them? Logos. L-O-G-O. And we in America, like never before, worship the almighty logo. Oh, they got a supreme hoodie. Let me see if I can find one. Oh, oh, they got a, they got a BMW. I'm going to go get a Mercedes. Oh, oh they got this. I'm going to get that. And, and, and it's like, there's nothing wrong with Mercedes. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with Supreme. There is something wrong with when you make having that thing the ultimate reality for your life. So write this down if you're taking this. The problem is not Supreme, and you don't have to put Supreme there. You can put Nike, uh, North Face, uh, Frigidaire. <laughs> I don't know. The problem is not the logo brand. The problem is making what someone else has supreme in your life. That was the problem of this man. Let me take you back to the text because I don't know if you saw this. The man in the crowd comes to Jesus and he says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Quick question. Who had the inheritance? The brother. The brother had the money. Jesus starts to teach about greed. Where's the brother? He's not there. He might have been there, but we don't know. But Jesus addresses the man who did not have the inheritance. Listen. The one without was taught about the warnings of greed. Why are you pressing in on this, Pastor? Because we in America often think that greed is solely the problem of the, pre of the people who have. The rich people's problem. In fact, some of you, as soon as I said we're going to tune in on greed here today, you immediately checked out in your mind and spirit. Oh, I don't have that problem. I don't have any money. But do you not understand that it is possible to not have money and still have a problem with greed? That's what Jesus is saying to this man. You watch out. You, because your, your brother's not the problem. You are. Supreme is not the problem. BMW, Mercedes, Frigidaire, they are not the problem. They make good stuff, and if you like their stuff, and you can afford it, buy it. But be careful to make them your functional savior. I'll have a life worth living if I own. I'll have a life that's of value. Oh, I can't wait. Here's how you know you're worshiping the logo. Here's how you know. Because as soon as you buy the thing, you post it. I mean, imagine if I did that, like, and I see people do this on Instagram all the time. They buy something and selfie time. Or they get a tattoo. Like, they get a tattoo, like, right here. 
Nobody wants to see this part of your body. Nobody. Filter, filter, hashtag new tattoo, hashtag ink, hashtag awesome. Everybody's thinking, <laughs> we don't want to see it. We don't want to see random parts of your body. I have no problem with you getting tattoos. Get all the tattoos you want. You can be a, a walking Marvel comic book for all I care. But the problem is when we think that that thing that we put on defines us, makes us special, brings value to our lives. When we search for approval, acceptance, and likes from strangers because of what we wear, do you know who we are? Adam and Eve. What happened at the garden? God said, that's the one tree I don't want you to touch. Okay. God comes up. Suddenly they realize we're naked. We can't, we can't be naked. And they run away from God, and the Bible says that they made clothing from fig leaves. Look at what they're doing, trying to cover up the nakedness of their soul with external realities. We're just like them. Only instead of fig leaves, it's modern amenities. And this is what Jesus is warning about in Luke chapter 12, because there's a problem with greed that is hard to see. That's point number one. Greed is hard to see in me. Greed manifests itself in always thinking someone else has a problem with greed. This is why Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against greed. See, you don't know when you're being greedy. You don't. I don't, I don't either. It's kind of a different sin than almost every other sin because no one is unaware when they are stealing. No one is unaware when they are lying, except the compulsive liars. No one is unaware when they are committing adultery. No one is saying, oh, you're not my wife. How did this happen? Right? We know. We know those. Greed's hard to see. I almost put as point 1B, greed is easy to see in thee. This is how the politicians play us against each other. It's the rich people's fault. It's the poor taker's fault. See, and what are we doing? Comparing. Write this down. Greed thrives in the garrison of comparison. It's someone else that has the problem or has the thing that I deserve. Entitlement. Wasn't it entitlement, this guy? Tell my brother, you are coming to Jesus. He is the living son of God. And you, and there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people at church on that particular Sunday, and you have the audacity to demand that the Savior of the world stoop down to the stupid little level of dividing your inheritance? Yes. Why? Because it's supposed to be mine. Entitlement. 
entitlement. Based on what? Because you're breathing oxygen? This, isn't, this is a generational problem that we are currently in. Our young people go to college. They spend $140,000 getting a useless degree, like lesbian dance theory. <laughs> and they graduate and think, I deserve a job. For what? I deserve a six-figure job. I deserve a $70,000 a year job. Out of college. What? Based on what? Because other people have it. They went and got it. They did what they needed to do. And so the politician comes in and promises to rescue, from, rescue you from those other greedy people. But Jesus challenges the guy without the inheritance about his greed. And then they go to college, they come back, and they live with you. Because they can't find a job. And then they demand, and then they live, and they buy expensive things because they figured out a little secret. Listen, moms and dads, they figured out a little secret. If you pay their room and their board and their meals, they'll buy a bunch of crap they don't need so that they can post it on Instagram and brag about it to friends that don't really care because they're trying to cover themselves up with fig leaves that one day will fall away. So parents, maybe the lesson here for you today is don't subsidize that nonsense in your kids' lives. Kick them out. Tell them to get a job and an apartment and struggle. Oh, I don't want my kids to struggle. Why not? Don't you realize the struggling is how you get strong? Don't you remember for your life? Don't you remember? Didn't you have a friend in high school that you went to high school with and their parents gave them every stinking thing they ever wanted and now today they're destitute and on drugs? Don't you have that story? Why don't you want your kids to struggle? I plan on making my kids struggle severely. <laughs> my daughter has been saving money for two years for her car. For two years, saving money. She still doesn't have it. Her friends get cars given to them. One of her friends got a car, brand new. She smashed it up. They bought her another car from one of the logos that was on the screen. Insanity. That kid all his life or all her life is going to think she deserves. Based on what? Stop ruining your kids' lives. Make them struggle. Make them live in the one-room apartment with a toilet that doesn't quite flush right. <laughs> Why? So that they won't spend a lot of time there playing video games. They'll get out and get a job and do well and advance through the ladder of success. Because as an employer, I know this better than anyone. When I see an employee working his butt off, we elevate them. We do not push them down. This is how it works. This is the unseen side of greed I deserve. Based on what? Stop blaming other people for your financial problems and start taking ownership and do something about it. And honor God and watch him bless you. So we have tons of time on our hands to compare ourselves, and I call this the Instagram Parison Trap. The Instagram Parison Trap. Let me see what other people's lives are. Forbes magazine did an article about the trap of social comparison through Instagram and social media. Love this quote. It says, we live in a world where everyone is sharing one perfect second of their imperfect day. And we're interpreting that perfect second as a life of perfection. 
And so we, we get into this trap. We get into this trap, Instagram, swipe, 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 like, swipe, 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 like, swipe, 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 like. And then we see what other people are doing with their lives, and we think, okay, well, they seem so happy with that new thing, that new supreme hoodie. Let me go get one. Let me see how I feel. And to be honest with you, all I feel right now with this thing on is hot. <laughs> but I'll look at what other people are doing, and I'll think, okay, let me, and then if we're not careful, Christians, if we're not careful, we'll start praying prayers to God that are informed by our comparisons than by our calling. That was so good, and nobody said amen. <laughs> Maybe it's because it went right here. That's okay. Just forget it. Here's what I want you to write down. Comparison can cause you to pray prayers based on what others have and do instead of focusing on what God has in store for you. What if your life, what would your life look like if you stopped worrying about what other people were doing? It might be a lot happier and content because we have a front row seat today in our pockets to compare our lives with other people's lives. This is the problem this man had. He prayed a prayer to Jesus based on what someone else had. Teacher, tell my brother. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Verse 13, right? That's a prayer. Are you praying prayers that are based on comparison instead of calling? Because I don't want to live someone else's life. Do you? I don't. I don't want to live your life. I want to live my life. And so I need to stop worrying about what God is doing in your life so that I can focus on what God is doing in my life and through my life and releasing the goodness that God has in my life. And so this again, back to the politicians, this is how they play us against each other because it's really about money. At the end of the day, it's all about money. And there are, no matter what one party tells you, there are rich people funding both sides. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. There are rich people funding the up-and-comer, poor, just-started-out congressperson who is blaming all the rich people for why your life sucks. And there are rich people funding the rich guy who's telling you it's all those takers on the other side. That's why your life sucks. It's just billionaires arguing over billions. That's all it is. And if you're not careful, you get caught in a stupid little trap and start hating your neighbor rather than loving them. This is the, the common theme in America is, that, is to believe that the poor people are innocent of all, of all crimes. But look, look at what the Bible says in the Torah. Le Leviticus 19.15. This was God's law for God's people. Look at this fa passage. Fabulous passage. Do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the who? You see, you almost didn't even want to say it, did you? You almost didn't want to say it. I could hear it. Do not twist legal matters. Do not twist justice by favoring the poor or by being partial to the rich and powerful. You see, I, I think in America, we, have, we, we love only one half of that verse. We would rather God say, let's not twist justice in legal matters by being partial to the rich and powerful. Because after all, they don't need it, and it wouldn't be a crime if we took it from them. What? Is it the heart of God? No, that's an entitlement spirit. Guess what Jesus calls it? Greed. 
and it'll corrupt your inner being. Don't twist justice for the poor or the rich. The poor or the rich. Like, I can see right now on some of your face, I can see you're having a hard time with this, but you need to come to grips with what God says and not what the world forces down your throat. Number two, greed focuses me only on me. That's the problem with greed, because greed consumes your life with you. And so Jesus tells this parable, and he says, he told him a parable saying, look at, look at this story, the land of a rich man. And I just want you to notice that there's nothing wrong with the guy being rich. This, the parable doesn't open up with Jesus saying, and one of those horrible rich people, you know the rich people, those horrible people. No, 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 it says the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And Jesus doesn't decry the fact that it produced plentifully. Do you know that there are plenty of rich people in the Bible that God uses? Abraham was rich. Solomon was rich. David was rich. Job was rich. After Job goes through his struggles, guess what God does? He doubles his riches. Look at it up. At the end of Job, Job gets double of everything he had before his struggle. Job doesn't end up destitute and God says, all right, now I like you. But we fall for this mindset in America that we think, oh, poverty is a virtue. It is not. Poverty does not get you into heaven. There's going to be a lot of poor people that go straight to hell. There's going to be a lot of rich people in heaven. Because, but there's going to be a lot of rich people in hell. Because the amount of money that you have does not get you into heaven. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, free of charge, that gets you into heaven and saves you from your sins. Period. End of story. End of story. In Jesus' parable is about the talents. He gives them talents. Talent was an amount of money. And Jesus exalts, extols the virtues of the one who takes his money and puts it to work and earns more money. What? That doesn't make sense in my economic theory class. Of course it doesn't. Because the kingdoms of this world are antithetical to the kingdom of Christ. And you've got to learn this. I feel like I have to press in on this severely today because I, I, I know what you're getting force-fed through news media and through the educational process of this country. And you need to wake up or you will end up blaming God for your problems just like this man. It's time to learn money management God's way and not the world's way. So he says... The, the rich man's land produces plentifully. But here's where the problem begins. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. This is where the problem begins. He believed that these crops were his. He believed his life was all about him. The next verse. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I will store my grains and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, take it easy. And you know what? There is a lot of rich people that think that's the game plan for American life right there. That's the game plan. Get the 401k jam-packed. The stocks, the funds, the mutual bonds, the T-bills, get it all going. And when you're all set, then you finally tell that boss, take this job and shove it. Move to Florida and play golf all day. And when somebody does that in America, we think, what a rich, what a, what a wise man. 
How smart. Look at what he did for himself. Good for him. But God said what? You fool. You stored up everything for yourself and you never thought of anybody else. You see, this is the problem with greed. It gets you to focus only on yourself. Your problems, your issues, your wants, your desires, your things, your life. It's not your life. And they are not your things. It isolates. Greed isolates. It, it makes you have no friends. You want to have a social life? Be generous, because people like generous people. Proverbs 19.6 says, many seek the favor, not a favor, the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives. Some of you have no social life. You're utterly depressed because nobody wants to be your friend. That's because you're greedy. You never share. You never buy coffee for anybody else. You never, you never bring something to the office. You never do something for someone else. Nobody likes you. Because all you come is you take, you take, you take. You have the handout all the time. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And you wonder why nobody likes you. This is what greed does. It isolates you from people who matter to God. If you're generous, you live a better life. I'm telling you something. I'm telling you. Did we do this last week? I think we did this last week. You have a choice between a generous boss and a stingy boss. Which one do you pick? The generous, stingy friend, generous friend. Which one do you pick? Come on, you can speak up. It's okay. Yeah, right. You have a choice between a generous mom and a stingy mom? Okay, you don't have a choice there, but you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> right? Which one do you want to be friends with? The generous person has more friends. And, and one, of our, one of our serious problems in America today is loneliness. Why are we so lonely? Because we're so isolated, because we are constantly comparing our lives to other people and trying to store up our riches and our goods so that we can put that thing on that will bring meaning and value to who we are. And the unintended consequence of seeking only for your own good is you cut people off from who you are. And that's not how God wants you to live. Jesus is beloved of one-third of the population of the world. How many people can you say that about? How many people can you say one-third of the world worships you? Not even J-Lo has that statistic. Come on. Right? Right? How did he do it? He laid down his life. He emptied himself. He let go. And he let God do the work. Three, greed blinds me to my truest need. If you're so, if you're so busy trying to get that logo on, if you're so busy trying to get that lifestyle or that income or that neighborhood or that whatever, honor roll student, you, you'll, be, you'll be blinded to the truest need. God said to this man, hey, you got all that money, but you didn't take care of your real need, you fool. You fool. Tonight, your soul, look at what God says, is, what's the next word? Required of you. Meaning, I'm calling a loan. That's the, it's a bank term. I'm calling a loan. I'm calling the loan on your life. You have to understand that your life is on loan. Your soul is on loan from God. How do I know that? Because you didn't think of yourself. You didn't think of yourself up. You didn't, you didn't invent yourself. God did that. God created you. God put you in the family he wanted you to be born into. God put you in the generation he wanted you to be born into. God did all that. Acts chapter 17 verse 25 says, God put you where he wants you so that you would seek him. 
Not so that you could just build a life for yourself, so that you would seek him and do what he wants you to do and live a life of generosity and live a life of giving and live a life of liberality. Why? Because you know, you know that your life is not defined by what you have. It's defined by who has you. It's a, something that we put these logos on and we think, okay, look, logo, interesting little tidbit, little Bible tidbit, little Greek translation tidbit. You know what John in John chapter 1, calls Jesus. He calls him the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus, the Word of God. Do you know what the Greek word for word is there? Logos, L-O-G-O. John's hinting at us 2,000 years later, instead of putting all these logos on to bring meaning to your life, why don't you put on the real logo? Jesus. So the last thing I want you to write down is you do not exist in your possessions. You exist in the possession of God. You exist in the possession of Jesus. The problem with Adam and Eve is that they tried to cover up their nakedness with what they could produce. And there's nothing wrong with producing and there's nothing wrong with increasing, but there is something seriously wrong with thinking that's what makes you worthy. That's what makes you valuable. That's what makes you significant. The likes on your Instagram feed are what bring significance to your being. Wrong. The thing that will bring significance, the thing that will cover your nakedness, the thing that will bring you home, the thing that will make you know. Listen, listen, don't check out just because you wrote the last thing down in the notes. Listen. The thing that will make you know that you matter and your life is valuable and you're worth something is Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in, in what? Christ. Not a supreme hoodie. <laughs> in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Put them on and then live your life, enjoy it, and give your stuff away as God blesses you.